Welcome to your personal branding podcast with Bernard Kelvin Clive, your number one career and business podcast in Ghana, bringing you expert interviews and insights into personal branding, personal development, and publishing. Now, here's your host, Bernard Kelvin Clive. Welcome to another edition of your personal branding podcast. I'm your host, Bernard Kelvin Clyde. And my guest today is Nick Halleck. How are you? I'm good as gold and you? Good. It's a pleasure meeting you. Thank you. All right, uh, let me give you what I call an MP3 version of who Nick is. Nick is a multi-million dollar astronaut, international speaker. And I'll say he's a world wonder. It's <laughs> Nick. Um, tell us a little more about you. Who Nick is? In, uh, who really Nick is? You, yeah. You're an extraordinary well, effectively, what I am is um, <clears throat> I'm like a, an entrepreneurial alchemist, uh-huh. a, a maverick entrepreneur, and uh, I'm all about experiential living, about living life in your own terms and conditions at all times. Experiential living. E- experiential living. You know, as opposed to just like, living in a the theoretical world, I want to go out there and just um, you know excavate my life's purpose. And just um, have a crazy time. I mean, I want to go out there and just, you know, I want to tra- traverse the planet, visit every country in the world, and I want to have fun, more freedom, and more f- fulfillment in my life. More fulfillment in your yeah. life. Now, let's forget how you how your journey started. It's, at, it's all began at age seventeen. What happened? Uh, well, let's let's go back to um, as a as a young kid growing up. So, um, uh, as a young boy, I was very very sick. Um, you know, I was I was born eleven pounds. Um, but within for 30 days, I was placed in an incubator for a period of time because I was very, very sick. I almost died. And um, I had chronic allergies. I had debilitating asthma for a long period of time. And for the first 10 years of my life, I, I was medically confined to my, to my bedroom, to my house. And um, I was homeschooled, not by tutors or teachers, but my parents bought me the Encyclopedia Britannica. And that was my gateway to the rest of the world in relation to knowledge and wisdom. And I pretty much read every page in the Encyclopedia. So I am a product of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Wow. And I can... I can so whilst we were confining you, but that was when you were really studying that. Yeah, but, you know, chronic allergies, debilitating asthma. So I was a very, very sick child. So I didn't go to... I didn't join academia until about age 10. Mm. But um, at age 8, which is kind of like the backdrop to the person that I am today, that is, I wrote down my top 10 list of goals. That's at age 8. Age 8. And... Um, what, what made you write that goal? Because uh, hitherto, most people write goals because they've attended seminars or read some books, but suddenly you wrote goals, 10 yeah. goals. What inspired you? What gingered you to write those goals down? I had nothing to lose. And I wanted to prove the world wrong. I wanted to prove the doctors wrong. I wanted to prove the uh, pharmaceutical world wrong because I became addicted to pharmaceutical drugs. Because the doctors were just playing me with drugs just to control my condition over here. And they all told me that I would never be able to live an ordinary life. So for me, it was just more like, you know, I just want to prove that I was wrong. And I'm still proving the world wrong in relation to what I can do, what I can pursue. So at age eight, I drafted my top ten list of goals, things that I thought were really cool. So, so what goes through your ten goals at age eight? What were the ten goals? Some of the ten, well, believe it or not, was um, having lunch on the Titanic, climbing the highest mountains in the world, becoming a multi-millionaire, helping retire my parents, um, visiting, traveling around the world, um, having exotic homes around the world, becoming an astronaut, going to space, 
Walking on the Moon. Um, there's there's quite a, quite a bit of a list, and of those top ten list of goals, eight down, and I have two more to go. Wow! Amazing. So the thing is, these goals have now cons- consumed over thirty two mm. years of my life, and in effect, I drafted the, not knowing it at the time, but I drafted the screenplay to my life. I drafted my own screenplay, which is my top ten list of goals. And since age eight, I've been the actor, the producer, and the director. And I've just been acting it out. And in life, how do you predict, how do you predict your life? By scripting it and then simply acting it out. And that's all I've done. I've just acted out the screenplay I wrote down as an eight-year-old. And the thing is, that eight-year-old is still inside me. Mm. And I'm a, as an adult now, I'm accountable to that eight-year-old. Because I'm the student, he's my coach. And he holds me accountable every day. Now let's flip it to uh, kids at your age now, in this digital yeah. age. What would be your advice to them, especially even adults who have grown their age, they have no dreams, they're just living their life. What would be the major thing you want to tell them today? Define your why, what's your purpose, what drives you. See, there are two most important days mm-hmm. in your life. The day you were born, and the day you discovered why you were born. So what drives you, what gets you out of bed, what, puts, what brings it to you, right? What, what um, brings a smile to your face? You know, and for me, it was, I, I knew from a very um, from long ago that I just wanted to travel around the world because the Britannica had all these had the the world's atlas of all these countries that resided outside the boundaries of my bedroom wall, my bedroom walls, and I knew that I had to work on my health and my condition in order to be able to like visit these countries around the world, whether it's Ghana, whether it's any other country in the world. Now here's the thing, in order for me to improve my condition, I stopped taking the drugs. And believe it or not, it was the pharmaceutical drugs that only exacerbated my condition because it kept on weakening my immune system. It's only when I stopped taking the pharmaceutical drugs and said no to the doctors in the pharmaceutical world that my health started to improve. Now let's look, let's look at this. Is it- but was it based on your belief system because you stopped taking your drugs and you got better? Yeah, it was. It, I mean, look, here's the thing, right? My, I perpetuated my own condition because I surrendered myself to the pharmaceutical world. And was the mindset? Absolutely. Yeah, by ventilating and by aerating my mindset, what have you, just, just elevating my thinking, what have you, just, you know, working on my faculty of thinking, if you want to call it, I started to, like, transcend to a different level over here. And I started to gain control of who I was. Can you quickly walk us through the, some of the processes? Firstly, one may want to know, how do I discover my purpose? I'm, I'm 40 years old now, I'm 20, I'm 18. I know why I'm here on earth. How do I begin to discover and live that dream of mine? Rekindle the relationship of your inner self. You know, here's the thing, right? Um, in the physical world, right, we all exercise to keep fit, right? Yeah. But how, how many of us actually exercise? In relation to like working from within, and when you work from within, you start to change the polarity of your thinking, and you start to deploy um, linguistic cure shots or your language in relation to how you relate to the rest of the world. And the most important thing is this: when you were a kid, and you're growing up, your your dreams were more vibrant mm-hmm. yeah. than an adult's, yeah. because as an adult, we become more conditioned by what society. We become institutionalized, and. You know, we, we, we just become a warehouse of facts and we lose sight of the bigger picture in life. But as a young kid, you want to be an astronaut. I want to be an astronaut. You want to be, as a kid, you're more vibrant. I'll give you an example. If you gave two coloring book sets 
to a kid and an adult. The kid's colouring set will be more colourful, using a mosaic of different colours, right? The adult will be like, you know, very... Like, a young kid will like colour outside the lines. An adult colours inside yeah. the lines. Interesting, isn't it? And, you know, you have to revisit and rekindle that child within you because the kid does one thing in particular. They ask questions. Mm-hmm. Children probe curiosity. That's why as a parent, I'm not a parent, but any parent understands that the kids drive them crazy with what? Questions. Mm-hmm. Because they're challenging the status quo, they're probing curiosity. As an adult, we don't ask questions. Where do we lose all this when you're growing up? You know, when, it's the conditioning of society. You know, we, 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 We're reprimanded for asking questions. That's why we become more statement-orientated. We're kids, they ask questions. Ask questions and ask questions. You know what's really, really sad these days? You know, when I was asking questions, I will go to the Encyclopedia Britannica and I will find the answers. These days I see parents trying to shut up the little kids by saying, stop asking questions, here's your iPad. <laughs> so they can play games. I mean, is that, where's the thirst of knowledge? Where's, where's the sense of wisdom to like really just you know, transcend their young mind? And I see parents who are just really, um, they, they don't drive their kids, like in relation to ambition and drive whatever to, or holding the kids accountable. See, I write down my goals. Nobody told me to write my goals, but I had nothing to lose. Why? Because I want to prove everybody wrong. And all I do every day is this. I've got my, t- my top 10 list of goals. I look at them every day. Every day. And I do that because I internalize it on a sailor mm-hmm. level. Because when you internalize it, it's your internal representation now, and you start to think differently every day. Not only that, I'm very specific because I plan to live a life which is, you know, a maverick type lifestyle. Um, you know, it's a very extravagant type lifestyle. And most importantly is this, I became an entrepreneur and an investor to finance my life okay. and the exploits of my life. See, my business life works around my lifestyle. Most individuals, their lifestyle works around their business life. That's why they have very little time. You see, I reversed it a very long time ago. Okay, quickly, can you let us know how you were able to realize your first dream? Yeah. My first dream was basically um, the first goal. Mm-hmm. Um, in the actual list was that was becoming a multi, was becoming a multi-millionaire. And it wasn't the, the materialism, the fast cars and the fast women, all that kind of thing. For me, is I wanted to liberate my parents because my parents were immigrants. Both my parents were both illiterate, could not read or write. They were a product of the Second World War. They, were, they, they came to Australia on an immigrant ship and they worked hard as labourers. So for me, I, I, I was the youngest of four kids and I, I just saw the, the hardship my parents went through and I just wanted to liberate their life. And that is that to me was my primary goal. And basically, that was going to be my foundation, and then I can scale up from there. But it was all about, it was all my family. How did you raise your first money? Uh, property. I, I started investing in property as a young child. I mean, I was always a very prolific uh, investor, um, saver. I used to be able to save money. In fact, um, any I mean, I, I had my first business at age fourteen. I opened up a music school, so I was charging twenty dollars an hour when I was fourteen. Then at age fifteen. I hired five other music teachers and we now had about 50 pupils every week and I was running the music school out of my parents' home. So every house, every room of the house was a 
I had uh, teachers, and I was paying it. Um, so we were charging twenty dollars, but I was paying the teachers ten dollars. So I was making ten dollars for every teacher, right? So I discovered leverage, and then by age seventeen, I sold that business for about thirty thousand dollars. And that was the that was the money that I used to move to the United States. Can you quickly let us know? Somebody watching or listening said, "Okay, I have a big dream, but I have yeah. no money. How do I raise money? How do I how, how do I start my dream now?" Yeah. Well, first of all, is um, you know, if, if you're passionate about something over here, um, you know, how passionate are you? First of all. Mm-hmm. Secondly, is there market demand for that particular product or service or passion? So passion and demand for what? Yeah, market you? demand. See, for example, if you're passionate about underwater basket weaving. There, it's not a big market at all, right? If your passion is 17th century wedding dresses, not a very big market. My point is, you know, follow the money. Follow the money for yourself. In other words, in other, in other words buy where the demand is. Okay? Once, once you establish demand, and if it resonates with your passion, wonderful. The next level is this. Is there something that you can scale up? See, two things alone. Get paid to think. Mm-hmm. Just very carefully now. Get paid to think because those who get paid to work work for those who get paid to think. think. So get paid to think and outsource the administration of your ideas to others. Highlight your strengths and outsource your weaknesses. Mm-hmm. And that's really all I've done. And I've just been really working on that and working on that because I know this look, there is so much out there, and I'm, I have this insatiable thirst for knowledge and wisdom. And there is so much we can learn about ourselves by going back into history. Because one thing in life, human emotion will never ever change. You know, how do you predict the future? By going back into time. Because the next five years will be the same as the previous five years, unless you change. And if you don't know where you're going to be in five years' time, chances are you're already there right now. How do you handle, how did you handle dream killers, dream stealers? Easy. What do you do? They will always be controversial. That way you smoke them out. And you can delete them. You know? The really important thing is this. Always set, to, always set the parameters as to who you invite into your life. Mm-hmm. You know, you're the most qualified person. You know, the viewers at home are the most unique individual, individuals in the world. Out of one billion sperm cells, you won the gold medal. Congratulations. Yeah. You are unique. And never allow somebody else's opinion to define your reality. Because, you know, what you can accomplish in life you know, and this is when you start to like, and I mentioned before about excavating your life's purpose, and you build upon that, and you just raise the ante, you raise the bar. You become a beacon of light. You just become a lighthouse. You start to illuminate the path for others. And Socrates always said, "In life, you are measured by your contribution." So for me, like, was the foundational element was to help my family, and then what is what, what is emotionally profitable for me is to emotionally inspire and financially inspire other individuals, because by teaching others. I also learned and discovered the process myself. But um, you know, having said that, that's that's one element of my life. The other element is pushing the boundaries and you know, and basically you know, walking that gauntlet of risk, whether it's a volcano or, or going down seven kilometres and having lunch in a shipwreck Titanic, which is what I did. That's pretty crazy. And the reason being is because I wrote that down in my goal to have lunch on the shipwreck Titanic. And I worked out a way how to do so. I had no idea how I was going to do it. But the fact that I wrote it down, the, the map, I already created the treasure map. I just had to discover how to do it. I mean, I give an example. Like, I, 
are the most persistent person in the world. I'll give, I'll give an example of the year. In 2007, I'm not sure, I'm not sure whether you know this story or not, but in 2007, um, I, was a, I, was, I was reading an autobiography um, by Dr. Paul Brunton. He was this uh, British mystic and was a philosopher, and he had slept in the, the sarcophagus in the king's chamber of the Cheops Pyramid in Giza, Cairo, in Egypt. The big pyramid is Cheops, right? It's a 5,000 year old structure. He slept in a sarcophagus. And I was reading his autobiography here. This book was released back in 1935. And what was really fascinating was he actually flipped and went crazy after his experience of sleeping in a sarcophagus. And I read that book and I'm thinking, hell yeah, I want a piece of that. In 2007, I traveled to Egypt. It was December, freezing cold. And I had no idea how I was going to do it, but I wanted to experience what Dr. Paul Brunton did. I wanted to sleep in the same sarcophagus. And this sarcophagus is very famous in history, and I'll tell you why. Napoleon slept in a sarcophagus, the same one. Herodotus, Sir Isaac Newton, and Alexander the Great all slept in the same sarcophagus in the king's chamber of the Cheops Pyramid. For three weeks, I went through all the government ministers, all the way to the president of Egypt. It took me three weeks until finally, I was in a Sudan, I got a phone call, and I say, Mr. Halleck, you need to be at this airport over here. Military aircraft, flew me back to Cairo, military police escorted to a hotel, to the gatekeepers, and then at midnight, midnight, I was ushered into the pyramid. I gave them my two terms and conditions. I said, number one, I want to be locked up inside. Padlocked outside. Um, if there's anything inside, whether it's, um, you know, because Dr. Paul Brunton, he flipped out. He saw, he basically saw apparitions, ghosts, antagonistic individuals, priests and what have you. He flipped out. Napoleon, you can read about his exploits. In 1798, Napoleon slept in the same sarcophagus. They found him in the morning, in the corner, shivering with fear. And his generals came and got him out. You can read about it. It's a true story. Even Napoleon flipped out because he spent a night alone. Then Mick. I became the first foreigner since Dr. Paul Brunton. I slept in 2007 since I was the first person, the first foreigner wow. since 1935. So I gave my two terms and conditions. I said, I want to be locked up inside. Make sure there's locks outside so I can't escape. So whatever's inside, I have to confront it with my belief system. And on top of that, I wanted lights out. I wanted lights out. So imagine this. The oldest man-made structure on planet Earth was my private residence for the <laughs> night. And I got to sleep in a sarcophagus overnight. And something went down that night. I write about it in my book. Um, yeah, I think I, you know, I like to look at things from a very scientific angle. Something definitely went down. I'll tell you why. Because some of the sounds inside the pyramid, but also when I got when they came and got me out about six o'clock in the morning, I had lost my voice for three days. I was on mute. I couldn't speak. It wasn't like I just lost my voice. It wasn't like it was hoarse or raspy. I had no voice. My output to the rest of the world, I couldn't communicate. 
for three days. After three days, bam, my voice just came back. It wasn't sore, it, it just, I had no voice. I had lost my output. And after three days, bam, it just came back. So what happened? What, what did you encounter? I, I saw a shaman, I spoke to a lot of individuals, and they all said I, I had an intervention. I experienced something. How do you think you explain? You'll have to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it's, you know, it's, it's still to this day, it just... Was the most amazing experience. I've got some crazy video. You know, I'm, I'm recording myself. You know, this is before you know, before iPhones. You know? <laughs> and there was all these sounds in the background. You just, it just when I was recording it, the sounds were dead. But when I play, doing the playback, there was all these types of sounds in the background. It's freaky. It really was freaky. Um, yeah, I was there. I, I, I lit up candles. I was doing some Asian chanting. Uh, it was just me. So what has all this taught you? I mean, going to volcano, to the moon, and let's see, what has it taught you? What, what, what is the lesson in that and all that? That, um, you know, I truly believe that I can do anything in the world. I mean, for me, it's just a pursuit. It's like, you know, for me, what's important is I love challenges, and I push the boundaries. I push the boundaries. Is it risky? No. Everything is a calculator risk. And I'll give you a perfect example. Like, I mean... You know, I'm an investor, so I calculate my risk by putting money into something in order to generate a return on investment. So I understand that, you know, there are too many individuals that just simply just tiptoe their way to death. And there's a lot of negative people. Negative people will just, you know, or they just, they're, they're, they're incredibly so negative over here, and then they die at 75 years of age, having never really accomplished anything in life. Now, don't get me wrong, with my life, it's not just about the money. Because... Money is binary. You're either going to make it or you lose it. But the reality of the money is this. Even the most wealthiest individual in the world, you will never own anything in life. You're just a caretaker. That's so true. It's the experience. It's the kaleidoscope along the way. It's the journey. It's the lessons. It's the wisdom. And, you know, even, even like um, climbing a mountain. I'm a mountaineer. You know, I've done crazy things on Everest. I did a halo jump off Mount Everest. Everest is the rooftop of the world. People say, why do you climb mountains? It's dangerous. Yeah. Everest, one in four people die. But here's the thing. For me, the summit is irrelevant. I don't really give a shit about the summit, rich in the peak. What I'm interested in is I learn more about myself on the way up. Jenny. I learn more about myself on the way up because I come back down a different person every time. Because now I have a different lens or a different perspective, a new vantage point to the rest of the world. Because the mountains give you solitude without technology. <laughs> because you look, for, you look within. You streamline who you are, what you do. You do like a self-audit. And what's, why is that important? Because look, in 30 or 40 or 50 or 60 or 70 years' time, you will stop breathing and you'll be fertilizing daffodils. What's your legacy going to be? What's your body of work going to be? Why should anybody give a shit about you? What do you say you think about you? What would your contribution? What legacy does the name going to be? For me, it's to inspire your individuals worldwide to just like seize the day, find a purpose, to find their why, and go out there and just, you know, share the love. You know, dare to dream more fun, more freedom, more fulfillment, and more quality time with your family and your friends. That is what life's all about. And... 
what I do is this, I'm a five-day weekend lifestyle strategist because these days we're all heavily entrenched in the five-day work week where we've got one single source of active income. Why? Because that's the Western world. That's the Western indoctrination upon the rest of the world. And, you know, when you look at the five-day work week, I mean, Henry Ford invented that back in 1912. See, I want to ask you a question here. 150, 150 years ago, did people have jobs? No, they didn't. Everybody was an entrepreneur. But from 1912, was it, was a creation of what? Of a JRB. Back then, we were all entrepreneurs. 4,000 years ago, ancient Greeks, ancient Egyptians, they're all hustlers, entrepreneurs. Well, they know. They have jobs. What happened? Because a job means your income is capped. Mm-hmm. And your, your travel is quarantined. And we all love to travel, but two things, time and money. And you work five days a week. So in other words, you work Monday to Friday, and you get paroled for the weekend. And you work four months, and you get paroled for a two-week vacation. I need to like rack up more credit card debt, then you have to go back to work to service the debt. See, the way the world works now is how to control the population by getting them stuck in what? Debt. Because mm-hmm. if somebody has debt, they have what? Fear. They have anxiety. And in order to justify that fear and anxiety, they have to keep on working to service that debt. That's how, the pop- that's how capitalism controls the populations of the world. So one of your mission is to free people from the five-day week work. Well, the five-day work week, and the five-day week, in other words, we all love our weekends. And I'm teaching people how to, th- how to add three days to the weekend. Can you, can you give us two ways, quickly? Well, simple as this, developing more passive income. See, most individuals, when they work, they, they work from Monday to Friday. They, they make money between Monday, 9 a.m., up until Friday, 5 p.m. Well, money doesn't stop after 5 p.m. Friday. <laughs> money is a 24-7 paradigm shift. Money is 365 days a year. And I often ask people, you know, if you were placed in a coma for five, let's say you had an accident, okay? You were in a coma for five years, five years. What would happen to your financial livelihood? What would happen? Yeah. America, the most wealthiest nation in the world. 95% of the American adult population is dead broke. They could, they will live from paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. See, here's the thing. Most individuals fall on the wrong side of capitalism. See, capitalism was designed to make sure that you can be, that you become entrenched in debt. That's how it controls you. You become a slave to the watch, slave to the grind, slave to working in a job or whatever to. You become an employee. In other words, you go to work and you're reliant on somebody else. See, I teach individuals, number one, never get paid by the hour. See, here's the thing. When you get paid by the hour, there are limitations placed on you. Yeah. Whose limitations? Somebody else's opinions who are defining your reality. If you're the most qualified person, if you're the most unique individual in the world, why would you have limitations? Yeah. It's like when some, some individual says, you know what? The sky's the limit. Bullshit. How can the sky be the limit when there are 12 footprints on the moon? No, it's just fingers the sky's the limit. Can you see how these limitations over here that are placed on us? Languages, the word can't. Try. Try is a failure disease. You either want to do something or you choose not to. 
the word wish and hope. Don't get me started now. The word wish and hope, languages-wise, the most poorest countries in the world are the most religious countries in the world. This is very The most poorest countries in the world are often the most religious countries in the world because religion teaches wish and hope. If you're, if you're always hoping, what are you doing? You're hoping on somebody else. See, my point is, if you're not empowering yourself, by default, you disempower yourself. You have to empower yourself. Because when you empower yourself, then you can inspire others. But how can you, how can you inspire others when you're disempowered yourself? That's why so many people remain poor. And then they remain on what? Welfare. Never be reliant on anybody but yourself. And then they get paid by the hour once again. It goes back to my thinking over here. Back in ancient days, we were all entrepreneurs. Back in those days, if the economy was bad, they were merchants that would go from port to port to port to port. True? These days, we don't think like that. We stay in our own little community over here, and if there's no jobs, we just stay unemployed. Back in the 2000 years ago, whether it was like trading from Cairo to Greece to Persia or to Alexandria, to all the port on, they were merchants, they were entrepreneurs. And humanity has lost sight of the bigger picture. And now we've become part of what? This cock, this whole system of being slaves. And the five-day work week was created in 1912. And I'll give an example over here. And this is something that most people don't, know, don't understand. Academia, school, is an apprenticeship to getting a job. I'll tell you why. Because in academia, eight hours a day, five days a week, 40 hours a week. True? Yeah. True or true? A job, eight hours a day, five days a week, 40 hours a week. So we're all conditioned in academia and the system was destroying our what? Our ambition, our drive, our thirst for wisdom, our thirst for travel, our thirst for knowledge. And we became conditioned and our, the limitations were placed on us and you graduate and you get paid by the hour. And in other words, the system was defining your reality. And we, we surrendered ourselves to the system over here. And we didn't challenge it because as kids we were learned we, we had that we were asking questions. But as the passion became extinguished, by the time we become an adult, it's all about statement. We just surrender ourselves to the process. And we don't challenge life anymore. Nick, so if, if you had to start all of it again, let's say at, at age 25, born in any country in the world with, let's say, $100, what would you do differently? Seek mentors. Seek mentors. Yeah. Find mentors who have what I desire. And learn from their lessons. And learn from their mistakes. Work for people for free. Just to gain their wisdom. That's what I would do. And I'll give you a place on any country, and within a couple of years, I'll have a million dollars again. See, I can lose everything I have right now, but within two years, I'll have that money back. It's a formula. Once you have a formula, once you upload that formula, you're part of life. That is the greatest asset. So you have a formula in the system. It's a system. It's a, it starts with the thinking, your foundation, but it's understanding how to build businesses. You know, finding market demand, finding products that are very, very unique. 
I mean, it's just defining your marketplace, but also having a perpetual product which is international, global. So there are too many individuals who are very logonomically orientated with their thinking. Where it's like, hey, I'm going to make money just for Accra. You know what I mean? It's like, hey, if I'm an entrepreneur, I'm going to have products and services in multiple languages worldwide. Because money does not sleep. And money's just one element. You know, you're still going to be happy. You're going to be healthy. That's why I tell people, more fun, financial freedom, and more inner fulfillment. You know, I've now been to 139 countries. Ghana was my 139th country. Oh, Why? Easy. Because I plan to be the most travelled human in history. Why? Because when I was a young kid, I used to study the Atlas. The world, the world Atlas. Now, those who study the Atlas as a young kid have a great desire to travel. Because mm-hmm. if you don't know the Atlas, you have no idea what's around the world. But for me, my greatest lessons are immersing myself in different cultures around the world because I gain more wisdom that I apply to my businesses. All right, Nick, uh, there's been a ton of things you've shared so far for us and uh, as we uh, round up, I want to touch a little bit on your faith. Uh, do you believe in life after death? I believe in an entity governing life as we know it. Now, I grew up in a very um, not conventional household. My father was a communist. My father was an atheist. My mother was a right-wing Christian Orthodox woman. So I grew up in a very dysfunctional household. So on my dad's side, they were like, you know, hey, it was all communist, it was all socialist, you know, um, and not a believer of the church. My mother, deeply religious, you know, and I've helped donate money to build her church, you know. My mother goes on Christian tours every year. I mean, for me, my religion is whatever puts a smile on your face. Because whatever puts a smile on your face means you're doing something right. And, you know, work on that vibration, work on that polarity, and that inspire other individuals in the world. Because when you live a life that is rich in health, wisdom, you tend to smile a lot more. And less muscles are incorporated just to smile. You know what I mean? But um, to me, that is more important in life. I just feel a lot of individuals, they're too reliant on other external factors. That's why a lot of people remain poor. Do you believe that everyone has whatever it takes within them? Absolutely. Yeah. But they've got to want it. They have to desire it. You know, it's the, the level of ambition they drive. It's like, how bad do you want something? It's that passion. And a lot of, a lot of individuals, they lack passion. So, again, like, uh, so if all is said and done and happens today, whatever happens, uh, do you believe there's a life else we have to have this? Yeah, absolutely. We are, living matter is always recycled. You know, always recycled. I'll give you an example. In the last couple of weeks, I was in the volcano, one of the most live active volcanoes in the world. People don't understand lava mm-hmm. over centuries becomes the greatest fertilizer. You look at every place where there is lava and volcanoes, you have the most richest rainforest in the world. Because the matter breaks down the composition of the lava and becomes what? Fertilizer. Then you have rainforest. Everything in life is recycled. See, I know what, I mean, how I feel life is this. I want to be recycled over and over and over again. Do you believe Titan? What's that? Titan. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Do you do Titan? Yeah. To a church or charity or something? 
For me, um, my charities are endangered species. Endangered species. I give you an example: gorillas, tigers, orangutans. And the reason being is this: my charities, my foundations, are all about endangered species. And the same thing, and many of them actually in Africa, even even African elephants, because it's human encroachment that has created endangered species. So, so the thing is this: in 20, 30 years' time. A lot of kids will be reading about these animals in Wikipedia or history books. I mean, the black rhino in Africa, there's only four left. African elephants on the endangered list. And my point is, is that's I don't I don't see humanity becoming extinct. Yeah. Okay. But endangered species, and I've always had an affinity with animals. I mean, growing up, I've owned ostriches. I used to own African blacks, big African ostriches. I used to breed them. Because I thought that was really cool, you know. <laughs> I've had alpacas, I've had racehorses in my life, I've had dogs, I've had, I mean, I've had, I mean, I've had every animal. I'm like a modern-day Doctor Doolittle, you know what I mean? So I've, I've a very, I've an affinity with animals, you know. So that's that's my rule, charity. With humans, my, my, I guess my my sense of charity is the foundation of knowledge that I can impress upon them. Because I want to improve their lives, so long as they pass on the baton of wisdom to somebody else. Don't keep it to yourself. Share the love, share the passion, and inspire others. If I teach you, then my goal, my goal is to teach you how to inspire other other individuals, and then just lubricate that throughout the world. One phrase I read from your book, Trillionia, is that I love. You mentioned that you, you don't invest in moving objects. Yeah, that's very and, good. And then your sense of wealth is, doesn't do with, I mean, physical things or begin yeah. them. And that is what, that was more empowering and enlightening when I read that phrase. So as we end, what would be your $3 billion advice to the world? Definitely over here. Fine, create a product. Create a product that the market needs. You know what I mean? Yeah, buy products that the market needs, that has an insatiable desire. Sell the pants and the pigs and the shovels. See, I'll give you an example over here, and a bit of a metaphor. In the gold fields, who made all the money? Though the, pros- the, the, gold, the prospectors up to the knees in mud, hoping to strike gold? Or the individuals who sold the pants and the pigs and the shovels and the equipment? Who made mm. the money? So the prospector was basing it on hope. Where those who sold the pads and the picks and shovels, they made money every time. See, always operate from a space of certainty. That's why I don't speculate, I don't hope. So when I invest, when I create businesses, I know with a greater certainty and probability that this will make money. Because I I know the market demand and the market forces that will drive this product. I don't come up with something with the hope there is a market for it. I already established the market, and all I do is I service demand. Find demand, service demand. That's all it is. Find demand, service demand. Yeah. Thank you so much, Nate. Hey. Uh, if there's any other thing that you want listeners or viewers to know, you know, uh, I'll say all the time, you know, dead dream, live with passion, and just make your life an extraordinary adventure. And just start inspired. Just you know, be inspired every day. Read books, read history, read books of history over here. Um, read enough philosophers over here, and just make your life count because um, you know life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop looking around, you will miss it. Lastly, where will where could one get in touch with you? Uh, 
hello. I'm very, very kind with my time. Uh, Facebook, um, you know, uh, or you can go to like nickhalliglive.com. But just generally, Facebook is the best way. You can probably just go to my own public figure page, just start like and just follow my crazy threads. I'm, I share a lot of content on uh, social media. So. Pleasure. It's a pleasure meeting. Thank Thanks, you. Nick. This has been your personal branding podcast. Your host has been Ben and Kelvin Clive. My guest is Nick Halak. Nick, it's a pleasure. Thank you. Alright, so at this time I want to recommend my latest book. So check it on Amazon.com today. Visit Amazon.com slash author slash Bennett Kelvin. The best is yours.